This is Chatter. I'm Shane Harris. This week, journalist Olivia Nutzi on politics and White House plumbers. I was really fascinated by politics. I watched a lot of late night comedy, mm-hmm. and it used to drive me crazy if I didn't get the joke, yeah. you know, in like a Letterman monologue yeah. or something. Okay. So I really started paying attention to the news in order to be oh, in on the joke. Yeah. I remember when I first learned about Watergate. That yeah. It was such a tiny, stupid thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I could not believe that something so minor had snowballed because of their stupidity. Right, that it broke the that it broke, yeah. yeah, that it broke everything. I, I could not believe that. With Trump, I, don't, I mean, he doesn't handle boredom well. Yeah. And instead of horse racing or bocce or something, <laughs> he, this is his sport, is fucking with American politics. Yeah. We're rolling now. We can just use this. Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. I could do a fancy intro for you, Olivia Nutzi, or we could just say hi. Nutzi. It's Nutzi. Nutzi. What did I say? Nutzi. I said Nutzi. I know how to pronounce your name. Don't mock me. <laughs> Listen, Nuzzy. <laughs> it's a Nutzi. Mm. Mm. Do people mispronounce your name all the time? Yeah, but there's even dispute within my family about it. Really? Um, yeah. Some people say Nuzzi and yeah. some, the, the Italian way is Nuzzi. Because it's like TZ or the, yeah, like the double Z makes Nuzzi. it Nuzzi. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, fine. Do people mispronounce your name? All the time. <laughs> All the, actually, you know what they do? They call me Sean. I called you Sean the other day when I was talking to uh, to Ryan. We'll see. Yeah. We've mispronounced each like, other's names now. But that's just a different name. It's, not a mis- it's a completely different name. People call me Kyle. No. They oh. Don't do <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, do you look like a Kyle? You don't look like a Kyle. I don't think so. No. Yeah. no. But you're a podcaster now. Oh, God, yeah. You are podcasting the companion to the HBO series White House yeah. Plumbers. Yes. Which is this great show about these people who redecorate bathrooms in the White House. <laughs> it's excellent. Uh, we're going to talk about all that. You and I go way back. Yeah, we do. I can't believe I was thinking when I was coming over here and being very late uh, that I can't believe we ever worked at the Daily Beast. <laughs> it's such a weird place. It is a weird place. It's like Grand Central Station for journalists. A lot of people went through yeah. there. I was there with you and see Jackie Kucinich was there. Mm-hmm. Noah Shackman was the editor. Swin Subasang was there. Um, Tim Mack was there. Yeah. Now who's like freelancing for himself at uh, in Ukraine. Nina Strolik mm-hmm. at National Geographic. <clears throat> Will O'Connor. Will O'Connor. Who's the travel editor now. Yeah. Um, we almost went through there. Who are the crazy people? Scott Bixby. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of crazy people. John Avalon was the editor for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a good time. Let's talk about where you grew up. Where did, how did, and I want to get to how you got into the business, but like. That's like where, inside the actor's studio. Yeah, see, right. Where, where were you where, born? Where's the young Nutsi from? <laughs> um, well, I was born in, in uh, New York mm-hmm. and I was raised in New Jersey, about yeah. uh, in Red Bank, which is like an hour hour and 15 minutes from right. Manhattan. It's like suburban New Jersey. Yeah. And yeah. What, was your, what was your childhood like growing up? Um, <laughs> um, um, I was kind of a loner. Yeah. Um, and I hated being a child. Uh-huh, I did too. Yeah, I was very frustrated yeah. by that. Yeah, um, yeah. I felt older then than I feel now, yeah. though, definitely. Oh, like I felt very old and sort of weighed down always did you want to hang out with the adults more than the kids it's not it never even occurred to me to like hang out with the kids mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um but i didn't uh i don't know no one ever really talked to me like i was a kid yeah I, yeah everyone always sort of related to me as a, a miniature adult did you get the thing where people would say she's so mature yeah which yeah. i hated that because right. i felt like you know because you guys are fucked up so you're like <laughs> making me that way <laughs> i'm not like you let's be clear i'm nothing like yeah. you um, did you want to be a journalist or a writer? I didn't. I guess I wanted to be a writer. Uh-huh. Um, I was going through a box of um, stuff recently from my mother, and like there was some little, you know, fourth grade or fifth grade thing where I wrote, you know, for my future writer, yeah. which I was sort of surprised by because I didn't remember that being a conscious desire. Like you actually sat down and wrote something I was intentionally. Always, yeah, I was yeah. always writing. Um, 
short stories mm-hmm. and writing scripts yep. and writing anything really yep. in any any format um, and sort of trying different things out. Were your stri- sk- your scripts were they like for like school plays? Or no, skits they or? were for sitcoms. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a lot of sitcoms. Um, I watched a lot of sitcoms and was sort of you know like raised by uh, Nick at Night. Oh, um, yeah. I love Lucy. Okay, classic. Um, I like to be witched. I, I love to Gilligan's Island. Oh wow! And I feel str- I I don't really like boats to this day because really? of Gilligan's You're Island. You're afraid of them? A three-hour tour, yeah, yeah. could only go wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, what else? Did you watch any contemporary shows, or did you like the classics? I watched a lot of television. Yeah. I was like really raised by television. Were you a Three's Company fan? I've, I loved Three's Company, of course. I, I, I can't like, wait to look for, like Mrs. Roper oh in God. a couple of years. I haven't. Like, <laughs> it's been six months. <laughs> <laughs> I want to wear some Mr. Farley, like, ascots. Yeah. There are a lot of good looks on that show. I had this idea for a show, which yeah. we should totally do. It would be an update. We, there should be a show called The Regal Beagle. And it's just – but it's like <laughs> you go back and you set it in that era. Yeah. But you build it around The Regal Beagle. Yeah. Right? So it's the bar. Yeah, a lot of company. intrigue. Yeah, and you could have yeah. whole new characters. Like, Jack could show up. Yeah. Larry could be there. Whatever. Yeah. But you would just build it around that. Yeah, there should be, like, a Cheers. Yeah. yeah. Or it could be a six-part limited series. Did you really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love Cheers. But you don't like Cheers. Why? I liked Cheers a lot. I was. It was not one that I watched religiously. I'm looking at you through this thing. Yeah. It's weird. It's very... Dirty <laughs> dirty well, Cheers has the Woody Harrelson connection. Which oh, yeah. Too. You know, I totally forgot that he, he was played in Woody. it. Yeah. 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 That was, and it was funny because like, he played like, he was, it's interesting. He, they were taking the stereotype of the dumb blonde and making it a man. Yeah. Which I think was like totally novel for that era. It was Radical. Kind of controversial. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It Loved Frasier. Speaking of, Frasier's speaking a great of Cheers. Show. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of dramas when I was young. So, like, I liked St. Elsewhere. I've never seen that. The hospital show. It's very good. It's I don't like, like hospital shows. Oh. Well, it's kind of like if Hill Street Blues were a hospital show. They were on, I think, around the same time anyway. Oh. It's not quite, like, gory like ER. It's, yeah. like, not like hospital room drama. It's more the people in the right. hospital. I watched a lot of Law & Order and, like, procedurals like yeah. that. Yeah. A lot of Law & Order. So then, as you grow up, do you think, okay, journalism is for me? How do you land in journalism? Tell us. We really got sidetracked. <laughs> Ranking sitcoms. Um, I, you know, I didn't know any journalists. Nobody in my family um, had ever had a job, to my knowledge, where like thinking was the primary activity right. in the job. It was mostly, you know, manual labor, labor yeah. and, yeah. um, you know, hairdressers yeah. and waitresses, mm-hmm. and my dad worked for the sanitation department in yeah. New York. Um, and so it was just not, it, it didn't, I never knew that was an option, yeah. you know. Um, and then I started, I was really fascinated by politics. I watched a lot of late night comedy, mm-hmm. and it used to drive me crazy if I didn't get the joke. Yeah. You know, in like a Letterman monologue yeah. or something. And okay. so I really started paying attention to the news in order to be in, oh, on the joke. Yeah. Um, and then I then it was so much more pleasurable to watch comedy when I knew what the hell people were talking about. Right, right, right. Um, and so I wanted to get involved in local politics. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in high school, um, still in New Jersey, right? Yeah, New yeah. Jersey. Um, I started volunteering for for local campaigns, mm-hmm. and it was just the most fun. And at this point, I had like a little blog that I where I would kind of write little missives about politics. What year was this? 2009, okay. 10, yeah, yeah. probably. So Obama's in the White House, blogging is big. Yeah, and I would write for like um, Open Salon, and people oh, were so encouraging. People were so nice. Um, and I kind of, I didn't know what reporting was or right. what reporting looked like, but right. I was kind of like, in retrospect, veering towards acts of journalism yeah you know yeah, like yeah, i went to sure. like a tea party meeting and like you know pretended like i was volunteering um you're showing up there like you're like 17 at this yeah point? did they yeah. think this was strange or was that like yeah, i looked whatever. so old i mean i really have looked i looked 25 okay. from the time i was like 13 and you'd cover, so, you probably carried yourself not like a yeah so no everyone confident. was always shocked to learn right. how old i was right. um and then i was i was interning for this local campaign in what was then uh, the legislative district 11 in okay. uh, central coastal New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had this blog and this local Republican um, blogger who had this website called More Mammoth Musings came across my my 
internet presence yeah. and asked me if I would be like the dissenting liberal voice for his Republican blog. Uh-huh. And I was like, sure. Cool. He said he couldn't pay me. And I was like, all right, well, sure. Uh, his You'll name is Art Gallagher. Um, <laughs> and yeah, right. And uh, I wrote a piece that was attack. It was called... Uh, Carolyn's or Casa Grande's cowardice, oh. and it was about it was about this uh, Republican legislator um, who I believe it was that she was refusing to give a, an answer on whether or not she supported gay marriage, okay. and um, I thought it was bullshit, and yeah. um, and it was you had to do real reporting for that too. Probably. Yeah, I don't remember there being real reporting. I think I was just like really just being very bitchy to this woman <laughs> for a couple hundred <laughs> words. Um, and and then from there, the publisher of um, an alt-weekly in Asbury Park, New Jersey, um, Dan Jacobson, is called the Tri-City News, uh, he reached out to see if I would become a columnist there. Wow. So I started writing about, it's mostly about Chris Christie, and mm-hmm. he was sort of, you know, gearing up to be a candidate in 2012, and that was sort of the subtext of his entire governorship at right, that point. Right. So it was a lot of, like, sort of, I don't know, pop punditry yeah, um, yeah, yeah. about American politics right. and the presidential race and the and primary. So did you feel like you were developing a voice at that point? Yeah, but I really, I realized very, very quickly that I did not have as many opinions as I thought that I did, and I was not mm. ideological the way that I thought that I was. Huh. Um, and so I ran out of things to say yeah. almost immediately, which of course <laughs> I was, you know, 18. Sure, sure. Um, and I found it, you know, tremendously difficult to come up with opinions. <laughs> and right. then I realized, well... I don't want to, I don't have opinions on this stuff. I right. would need to learn more about it and get right. more experience. Right, right, and right, I right. thought that maybe I wanted to be a speechwriter. I was still sort of like, do I want to be in politics mm-hmm. or writing mm-hmm. about it? Yep. Um, and then I took an internship with Anthony Weiner's campaign. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell that story? Uh, <laughs> well, I kind of, I thought at that point I had freelanced a bit, you know, for like, the Huffington Post, which there was no barrier to entry whatsoever <clears throat> right. to freelance for the Huffington right. Post and this at was, that yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. This was a time when basically it was anybody who wanted to do it, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, that was really the process. Right, was, exactly. There was no They'll process. They'll take all comers. Yeah, exactly. And then I think like alternate, some like really lefty, um, I think now largely forgotten types of places. Right. Um, and when I applied to be an intern for the Anthony Weiner campaign, I thought, you know, what better place to learn about media and politics at the same time than on this fucking mayoral race? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, well, there's no way that they're going to um, have me because my only experience is writing uh, about politics, so they're going to think that I'm there as a plant. And to my surprise, they immediately emailed me. But I didn't realize that like interns aren't vetted. You know, I thought like oh, the interns the most important, yes, exactly. the most important role. <laughs> Why will the FBI campaign? do my background check? <laughs> yeah. um, and they told me to you know, show up to Almond, uh, Anthony Weiner's brother's restaurant in I think the Flatiron District, and you know to start to start work. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and then I was there. I mean, for a very brief period of time. Um, and I think actually right around this time, I was introduced to someone named Paul Carr mm. by, I believe, by Dave Weigel, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who uh, was the editor of a, a publication called NSFW Corp. Oh, and they okay. w- were going to have me do some freelance pieces. Um, and that kind of intersected with my joining the Anthony Weiner campaign. Right, right. Um, so throughout that, I was having conversations with an editor, not thinking I was going to write about it, right. um, but I was taking notes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was leaking a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. Because <laughs> it was just, there was, it was such a small, yeah. I mean, it was a tiny, you were yeah. in like a little, at one point we were working out of his congressional office, yeah. um, which was just, it was this tiny little space with just a few people and the Amazing. candidate. And I couldn't believe the things coming out of people's mouths. And I, it was just delightful. Had you ever worked, had you ever worked that closely instead of political operation before? Not with a principal okay. that was yeah, like yeah. important Well, and especially and one who is as colorful and right. weird as he is. So I worked with like the candidates sorry, that I'm still friends with from yeah. the, the local campaign that I interned on. Um, I was like the worst intern ever. I was so bad at phone banking and so bad at all of that shit because um, I have no attention span yeah, right. and and no dedication to the cause. I was just like interested, you know, I wasn't like fighting for my life out I'm there. I'm just here to get material. Uh, I didn't know that, but, but yeah, in retrospect. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it was just fascinating. I was totally fascinated yeah. by it. And um, yeah, he was such a character. Um, totally. And I was keeping notes just because it was so interesting. Um, and then when, I believe it was when Sidney Leathers um, was exposed um, by BuzzFeed as mm-hmm. being a woman that he was having a sexting relationship mm-hmm. with. Um, and the campaign was obviously over. Uh, Paul Carr, who was my editor at that time, said, "If I remember he called me and he said, if you don't write about this, you're a bad journalist and I'm a worse editor. <laughs> and so we decided so that it was okay to, to write about it. So I did a couple little episodic things. Um, but he called all the... Uh, female interns Monica which I thought was absolutely <laughs> hilarious and deranged um, and you know, people were only working there to really get proximity to Huma for the potential Hillary yeah. Clinton campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. and then um, I heard from the New York Daily News I actually heard from Annie Carney mm. um, someone that I think yeah, we're we both, both friends yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was at the Daily News and had seen some pickup of some of my items wow. and wanted to know if I would write a piece for them. Wow. Uh, or nice. I, I believe she wanted to write a piece and I said, how about I write a piece? Okay. I didn't know Annie was that connection to that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And she, I met with her for coffee at um, the Empire Hotel in Lincoln Center. I thought you were like, <laughs> I'll write it. <laughs> well, I didn't know. It's funny. I've, I talked to her about this not that long ago and she, her telling of like what that was like from her side was so funny because of course it seemed insane. There's like this, you know, child <laughs> writer being like holding a paper hostage. Um, And she introduced me to the political editor there, um, Joel something. Mm. And he, they told me that, you know, my my rules were that they weren't going to use my photo. They weren't going to make this into some sort of like trashy intern reveals all type of thing. But the big thing was I didn't want them to use, I didn't want them to use my photo because I didn't want it to seem like a tabloidy. Like you were exploiting this. I also didn't know that the Daily News was a tabloid because my father would would bring home the New York Post and the New York Daily News every day. And compared to the New York Post, the Daily News seemed like a relatively serious publication. You just grew up around it. Yeah. Yeah, And I I didn't even, it didn't occur to me that that was a tabloid. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote the story. They Their edits on it were so infuriating and so um, brain dead that I really just – I almost pulled the plug on it and um, – Brain dead, pull the plug. Such yeah. morbid. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, I slaughtered them. Oh, God. Um, but I, I was really frustrated because I felt like they were turning into a very silly thing. Right. And it was a kind of a serious piece of reporting. Yeah. I thought it was all about the the kind of uh, machinations of the people and why they were working on the campaign. Well, and, impression and, does it turns out. And what they, yeah, and what they thought of the candidate, which is not much. Yeah. And, right, right. Um, and then they they contacted me and they asked me um, for a headshot because, like all of their columnists, mm. they were going to run a small headshot is what they told me. Mm. And I kind of, without a second thought, sent it over to my friend Sophia, who's a photographer, had taken a bunch of photos for me. They were actually kind of um, parody photos where we were doing like a – like, what would a female Stephen Colbert look like? <laughs> <laughs> and so I got a spray tan and I looked, you know, insane. Oh, my God. Um, and – um, she said, I, you know, got it. And they asked me for a higher resolution then on the photo. And I thought that was a little weird, but yeah. I still didn't, I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. So I didn't think it was weird enough that I was like, hmm, why do they need such a high resolution on this photo? <laughs> um, and then I learned later. Do you have some other options as well. <laughs> yeah. I learned yeah. later that they had a staff meeting oh, where God. they said like, what are the, we're going to put her on the cover. What are the odds that she sues and goes crazy? And they decided, yeah, it's probably going to be good for her career. So wow. fuck it, we'll do it, and we'll wow. roll the dice. Um, Harry Siegel told me that because he was on no the, kidding. I think he was on the the board, the oh editorial board. Um, and I woke up, you know, really early because I was waiting for it to come out. I was really excited. You're um, and everything. Yeah, and mm. more than that, I woke up to a phone call from my father saying, <gasps> "Why are you on the cover of the Daily News?" Get out. Just very cool and collected. Why, why are you on the cover of the Daily News? Oh my. And I ran, and I was living um, in a dorm at Fordham University in Lincoln Center at the time, and I, like, ran out and 
tried to buy up every paper that I could find <laughs> on the Upper West Side. I was like running up and down the Upper West Side because I was mortified because it looked like it was a this photo of me yeah. which transferred horribly to right, newsprint right, right. and next to a photo of Anthony Weiner. And I believe it said something like Wien turn or Wien something turn. horrible. And it looked like I was in a sex scandal mm-hmm. with him. And below that was like a real housewife of New Jersey and her husband and they were going to jail. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was just horrified and I thought it looked, I looked like shit. I looked like I had sold my story and been photographed right. by a tabloid. Yeah, you looked like an opportunist. Yeah, and that yeah. was what the initial pickup of the yep. story was. Yep. Punditry about the story was sort of like this social climby yep. woman selling her gossip right. to a tabloid, right. which is exactly what I wanted to avoid. So I was yeah. devastated. Yeah. And then at about 7 p.m. that day, I started getting all of this incoming from someone named Hunter Walker, who I'd never heard of before. <laughs> uh, and I was just terrified. Yeah. I, I had no idea what he wanted to talk to me about, and he didn't say specifically. And I was like, who the fuck is this person? And I didn't know what to do. I just remember shaking. Where was he um, at the time? Talking Points Memo. Talking Points Memo. Okay. And I had, you know, I knew what Talking Points Memo was because yeah. I watched a lot of MSNBC. And, sure. Um, but I was just terrified. And then when I finally spoke to him and he told me why he was calling, he I, I can't remember if we were, I, if we were, we must have been on the phone. And um, it, he told me that the campaign uh, communications director had gone on the record um, to call me a series of absolutely deranged, hilarious names, including, may I? Of course. Slutbag. Fucking fucking twat, <laughs> little cunt. Oh my god! <laughs> um, definitely called me a bitch. There were all of these. I knew there were some names, but not that slut, many. Well, I had never heard slutbag before, and to that? my knowledge, she may have Barbara Morgan, who I'm now very good friends with, actually <laughs> may have uh, coined that term. Um, and I thought it was just delightful. I really appreciate. I really genuinely appreciated the creativity. But she more than deep. that, yeah, she but more deep. than that, I mean, very cynically, I thought, um, well, this absolves me. I look like an angel now because you've been, you're being attacked. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. look like an angel now, and so, whew, like, and right. I think everyone was very like, oh no, she's being bullied. Is she going to be upset? Right. And I took great pride in it. Um, I thought it was great, hilarious. Because you provoked them as a no. I just thought, well, maybe a bit, but I mostly I just thought it was so funny. Yeah. Um, and I thought that the creativity involved yeah. was so good, so funny. Um, and I thought it was kind of just a great story, yeah, and a delightful yeah, yeah. story. And I felt like, okay, I no longer look like the villain in this There's situation. There's some vindication for you in it, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, but I was not prepared for how it would turn into, I mean, it really turned into an international um, yeah. story for, I had never experienced anything like it. There were reporters outside my parents' house, just everyone in the world asking me to come on television go on good morning america go on like all of these british and australian shows and go on late night go, like i just kept getting all of this incoming for days and days right. and my, i was very worried about my family yeah. and then i realized oh they're italian i don't have to worry they locked it down immediately no one said a word Amazing. um and then after three i went radio silent because i was afraid that if i talked publicly about it, that it would be very difficult to like escape the Anthony Weiner intern sure. thing, which it, it was for years afterwards, sure. actually. Um, but it, after three days, it was just crickets, which yeah. I thought was so fascinating. Uh, you and saw I, from the inside yeah, the cycle. Totally. Yeah. And it was so fascinating to be written about. I'm yeah. really grateful that I had the, the yeah. experience. I was very upset about it for a couple of years after yeah. because it was really hard every time I wrote something to overcome the just Anthony Weiner intern, famous for betraying an Anthony right. Weiner campaign. Right, right. Um, but I'm really grateful because it was I just the way in which the like logical leaps that people take when they're writing. You know, you went to a school that means you graduated from the school, or so it, just the way that um, like things that got wrong about you. Yeah, but little things that amounted to an incorrect narrative, yeah, right. right? Or just you could see how someone would think, oh, uh, you grew up there, so you were born there, born in this I town, see. right? And like yeah. little things that were only, it would only matter to me that it was wrong, but yeah. um, I thought it was a really valuable you lesson as a reporter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was fascinating too. It was yeah. just absolutely fascinating to see um, how you can just become an avatar mm-hmm. and people are talking about you and it literally has nothing to do with you. Yeah, yeah. But this is, the, it's just so interesting here you talk about this because I think one of the things that 
like very much characterizes the work that you do now, which is really, I mean, you know, people know a lot of the work that you've done on Trump and people in the Trump orbit for these great stories from New York Magazine. Who can? <laughs> um, it's Who like <laughs> they are like they are assiduously reported, right? And there are times where they are doing crazy shit that even seems outrageous for Rudy Giuliani or Donald yeah. Trump. And you read your story and you can tell that you've got it right. It's reported. I mean, you, and you have them saying things. I mean, you have them saying things to you that sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, why in the world are they saying this? And, of course, <laughs> they do. But, like, it strikes me that being in the middle of a media circus yourself and mm-hmm. seeing how it's covered probably has instructed you on, A, why that's a fascinating story, but, B, that you really do need to get it right, every little detail. Yeah, I think it – yeah. And I, to the, if I get the tiniest thing wrong, I, like – I'm. Just devastated exactly. by it. Exactly. Um, I mean, the, it doesn't happen a lot, thankfully. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, it, it was very. It definitely was an important experience. Yeah. And um, you went from there to the beast, right? From yeah. That, from more because or less. Yeah. Bridgegate happened, and yes. so the, the timing of that um, was extraordinarily lucky because I had there was all this interest in me from um, editors and reporters in like yep. the New York media scene. Yep, yep. And I think a lot of it was just like a curiosity, you know, is this person for real? And mm-hmm. uh, um, and then when Bridgegate happened, I had met all of these different people or I had, you know, been introduced to people over email and right. I was able to to turn that into freelancing pretty and prolifically. You were living in New York. I was living in yeah. New York and I started writing for New York Magazine and for Political uh, Magazine, right, 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 actually. Right, 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 Denise, right. Our friend Denise Wills Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Denise published you there. That's yeah. right. Um, and a New Jersey reporter um, at the time, Matt Katz, mm. uh, had introduced me to Denise because he didn't have the bandwidth to do some that's assignment amazing. on Christie. And uh, Yeah, and it was uh, it was just very lucky. Yeah, but it's also so much about journalism works, as you know. You're well, the I right place, hap- right time. Yeah, I happen to have a lot of knowledge yep. about New Jersey politics at like the exact moment where that was very valuable. And yeah. from there, I, I got a full-time job at the Beast. Yeah, right, right. Just so yeah. we met. Yeah. And then you were in Washington. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll talk about White House plumbers, but I want to talk about Trump a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, okay, first, what, what do you, first of all, very in, he's in the news a little bit. Yeah, today. he is in the news a little yeah. bit today. Some stuff happened in New York yeah. yesterday. And some stuff's going to happen tonight yeah. uh, when he is interviewed by Caitlin Collins. Yeah, New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire, CNN. Um, He's running, obviously. From what? (laughs) Um, Like, political handicapping and predictions is so lame. But, like, if you had to bet right now, like, do you think he'll actually be the nominee? I'm not a betting woman. You're not a betting woman? Um, What needs to happen for him to be the nominee? I think circumstances right now, even given the E. Jean Carroll decision, are pretty advantageous for him to be the Republican nominee. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it looks very, very – it's hard to imagine a universe in which he does not become the Republican yeah. nominee. And there's no one really running against him. DeSantis has not said he's running. No, not yet. It's getting a little late. Is it? I mean, Biden's already announced. Trump is – when did he come down the escalator? June, what point in the cycle was that? June 16th, 2015. 2015. Okay. So in this, if we're comparing cycles, yeah. DeSantis still has a little bit of time. I think – I mean, it's difficult though, right? The first debate is in August. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to be active. I mean, he's going to Iowa. He's doing the early state visits now that the legislative session is over in Florida, right, DeSantis. Yeah. So I think we'll probably have an announcement sometime in the next few yeah. weeks. Yeah. Um, but not that they share anything with reporters. Right, right. You know? But you've spent so much time thinking about him and talking to him and people in his mm-hmm. orbit. I've spent more time thinking about his brain than he has, certainly. Right. Well, yeah, that's probably yeah. true. Yeah. So why does he want to be president again? I've asked him about this. I I think that he just doesn't know when you once you ascend to the top of the mountain. I don't think that when you're that old mm-hmm. and you've reached whatever heights you wanted to reach mm-hmm. as a public figure, th- that it there's no other mountain for him to yeah. go after, yeah. right? I think the post-presidency is so interesting in general as a subject, right? Um, and now lifespans maybe are longer and mm-hmm. presidents previously at least were getting younger and there was a, you know, there's a lot of runway for someone after that, yeah. like Barack Obama or right. George W. Bush. Um, but with Trump, I don't, I mean, he doesn't handle boredom well. Yeah. And instead of horse racing or uh, taking up, bocce or something <laughs> he, this is his sport is fucking with american politics yeah. 
Um, and I just I don't think that he knows how to adjust to a life in which he's not sitting at a big desk and his office is not Grand Central Station every right, day. Right, 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 right. And I think the boredom part is, is key, right? I, mean, I don't it, think he can tolerate it. No, he can't sit still. Yeah, he can't. And he also just needs constant affirmation. He needs mm-hmm. he needs attention. And he's not really get. he hasn't really been getting it yeah. that much. Do you think that the potential for criminal, like, let's say he's criminally indicted yeah. J6 or Mar-a-Lago or both, whatever, which seems right. like a genuinely real possibility. Again. Right? Yeah. Is that debilitating, do you think? I mean, from your understanding of Republican Republican politics today? I kind of think that, if anything, I mean, what happened with Bragg mm-hmm. sort of seemed to strengthen him. I mean, yeah. it did strengthen him if you look at the polls yeah. for whatever they're worth. I don't know right. where, where we stand on polling this time yeah. around, right? Yeah, no. polls, uh, are polls. polls are polls, right? But I kind of think anything that, that feeds into his narrative that this is a witch hunt and that they're out for him is probably pretty good for, for galvanizing his base. Right, right. Um, do you now? So, if he's president again, do you think? How do you oh think about? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you have to answer the question. I was going to say, like, how do you think about, like, saddling up again to cover him? I mean, I think about this a lot more from the perspective of like, because I cover the intelligence community, like the policy kind of angle yeah, of yeah. this and all that. How do you do? You think you would cover him and write about him differently? Yeah. And I suppose that's going to be true even while he's running. He's the nominee. I mean, you're going to be writing about him. Yeah. Um, I mean, my approach in the last year, I've written like three features about him in the last year. And I think my approach has been slower, if that's possible for me. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. um, I've tried to not – I've tried much harder to contextualize his speech and to – not get, I guess, sort of wound up by the crazy shit that he says, right, where it's right, like you just right. want to print what he's saying. But, um, and I still want to do that. I still think that's the answer is just transparency and putting yeah. candidates out there and yeah. letting them talk and people are smart enough to go through what they're saying. Yeah. And um, obviously fact-checking is important. Context yeah. is important. But I'm not afraid of, of allowing a candidate to speak. Sure. Um but I definitely, I guess I see him more fully now, I think, and I think we all do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the big important thing for me is making sure that I'm not, like, treating him too unseriously, even mm-hmm. though he's such an unserious person. <clears throat> right. And I think about this, like, like from an inner newsroom, I mean – where, where you write and the writing you do, you're expected to have a point of view, right? And yeah. To, and to contextualize and to add some like sort of dimensionality of the writer mm-hmm. to it. And in the news business, we're so trained to just almost like act, act as if we are not right. the ones co- actually writing the words and covering him. And it's impossible to write about this man and not in the context of he tried to stop the transition of power. And right. he's been credibly convicted of sexual right. assault. And he may be in that. Like, yeah. you come with your history. And, like, that is indelibly part of it. Well, it does. It makes everything feel so heavy Very just from heavy. a pure, Very just, heavy. you know, creative standpoint. Right. Yeah. There's no um, agile Trump story that you can write. And uh, someone, yes. yeah. someone was interviewing me recently and they were talking to me about um, – about my sentence structures hmm. <laughs> and they were talking about the I, these very long paragraphs I'll do with you know that are maybe one or two sentences yeah. which I don't think is a good thing it's just I, I was thinking about it because I've never thought about it consciously and I was just like well I don't know how else to um, fit in all of the different investigations yeah. that are ongoing, all of the different um, alleged crimes that have been yes. committed, all of the different uh, crazy shit right. that he has done or that has gone on around him in the last five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. I don't – it is a run-on sentence. Absolutely. It is a run-on there's thought. No, there's no point in trying to, like, to run away from it or to hide it or to No, and you have it. to, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always thinking um, – I love old magazines and I collect mm-hmm. magazines yeah. and I'm always I get so infuriated when I'm reading a big like ambitious profile in a magazine from the 70s or 80s or something and I I don't know what the hell they're talking about and mm-hmm. I have to be you know on Wikipedia or whatever during it um and so I'm always conscious of trying to write things for people who are not you know terminally online and right. and right, uh, right, right, of right, this right. moment and yeah. tethered to the news cycle yeah um and yeah, it's it's 
there's a lot of context to add. And it's just an ensemble of characters mm-hmm. that is just, no one ever goes away. It's just bloated and growing and growing and growing. And yep. it's like, oh, you thought that you could forget about uh, Michael Cohen or an Omarosa right. or whoever. Right. Right. And it turns out, no, you cannot. And <laughs> they will be relevant until oh, he stops being relevant. And yeah, there's just, there's not enough um, newsprint in the world. I wonder if the, I mean, I, I wonder a lot about how the obviously how the government will respond to him if he is president again yeah. and in and how we kind of even grapple with this individual possibly being president yeah. again. I also think and this is I mean predictions are worthless. I don't think he can be reelected. That's just my I, my prediction now is he can't be reelected. No, I mean I I keep I mean I think he can be but I don't think he will be. I keep thinking though that at the time that he lost the 2020 race it was impossible to escape the consequences of his presidency every day, mm-hmm. even if it was just surface level, even if you were not someone who was um, who felt that his policies were really bad or that he was an embarrassment. He was everywhere all the time. Yep. He was inescapable. And that's not the case right now, yeah. right? He's not on Twitter. He's not on cable news 24-7. Right. Um, we're not here. Most You have to look for his statements yep. and uh, his his, what do they call them, the truths? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, you have to look for it. Right. Um, I think that's kind of a recipe, for, if that continues apace, for people not really remembering viscerally how sick of him they were. Right. So it's not that he becomes irrelevant. It's just that we don't forget how bad he is. Yeah, and I mean, right now the Democratic Party... Well, we about yeah, yeah, the Democratic Party and the Trump campaign are sort of aligned in attacking Ron DeSantis. And I keep thinking like, hmm... Is that going to look smart in right, retrospect? Right. Maybe you should build him up. But I think clearly Biden thinks he can beat Trump, right? So I mean, he's done it once before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, again, that's why I, I my my only prediction on saying I don't think he'll be reelected is I think the math is the math and it'll still right. be tight. But I don't imagine Donald Trump suddenly reversing his failures with college-educated women in you know swing no. districts, and that's going to kind of decide the election again. No, I, I mean. We'll see. Yeah. Are you excited about the potential of writing about him again? Or does it sound to feel no. exhausting? No, it feels utterly exhausting. I mean, I kind of, I've always. Like, you, like <laughs> you're, you're the young, the young reporters expended all your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I kind, I kind of feel, I mean, I, I feel like I have to see him through as mm-hmm. a story. Yeah. You know, when I, when I signed on to start writing about him at the Daily Beast. Yeah. In 2014, right. I did not think that it was going to be a, oh a decade, God. a third of my life, right? Um, but I feel very much like a sense of duty about it and yeah. like I have to see yeah. it through. I cannot abandon the story before it's concluded. Yeah. Well, I think that yours is also a unique voice writing about him. And so Thanks. it's like we want to read what you have to, to, to But say that last him. piece I did about him, um, I guess the last piece I did about him was really about Stormy Daniels. But yeah. the story before that um, was about him sort of in isolation at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, my God, the Norma and Desmond story. <laughs> the Norma Desmond. I love that story so much. Um, my God. No, but it's like, it really is, Olivia. It's like the perfect analogy. It's crazy. I'm, like, I mean, he, I'm not the first person to make that, that comparison, obviously. But it's but, like, but I mean, when you think about it, like him just like sitting down there, you know, in the dark. In the dark. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> With a um, dead monkey someplace. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, not that part. Um, but... But it is that craving. It's that yearning. It that killed he has. me though to write that piece. Why? It just. It was like. Because I. It's just so heavy. It's yeah. so much yeah. has happened, and to, mm-hmm. um, to and also the reporting is just. It's so joyless and yeah. so. Um, you know, not that it should be fun to report on these things or anything like that, but it's just. It is such agony to yeah. have to, um, to have to do the reporting like I found myself just being like oh fuck I don't want to call this I do yeah. not want to speak to this person right. I do not want to speak to this person then you have to say oh hi hi it's me hey <laughs> How yeah you oh great okay yeah no I've been great thank you yeah that's no, great to talk to you too yeah it's so much fun <laughs> um yeah so that I mean it's just it's painful yeah it's painful so this is it's a, it's kind of a good transition to talk about Watergate and White House plumbers. Mm. I wonder, like, when you think about having to put yourself back in the mindset of thinking about the Nixon era, which really, I mean, I think is the last time. I mean, you could take Iran Contra as a period of scandal, but like, really, and and Monica Gate and whatever. 
But really, since Trump, the only comparable figure has been Nixon in yeah. terms of just the scandals, the corruption, uh, et cetera, the impeachment. So when you're thinking about how to talk about Watergate, do you have Trump in mind? Or does it seem like an era ago and something that is kind of like what connections come up for you? Yeah, I think like the the small ball nature of it is mm-hmm. it very it's impossible to not think of Trump. Like I remember when I first learned about Watergate, it taking me like seven tries to finally comprehend that no, all that it was was that was the break in yeah. and like it was they just were idiots and yeah. it was such a tiny little stupid thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I could not believe that something so minor had snowballed because of their stupidity. Right, that it broke the that dam. It broke, yeah. yeah, that it broke everything. I, I could not believe that. Yeah. Um, and that sort of just stunning, awe-inspiring stupidity um, and just the completely psychotic ideological commitment and and sort of religious commitment to a leader, I think is very reminiscent of of Trump. And the show White House Plumbers, which is, I mean, it focuses on G. Gordon Liddy and E. Howard Hunt, right? As sort of these two characters. Two men with initials in in their names. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And it's kind of, it's, it's using them as the vehicle for telling a story about Watergate. How do you think that the way they're doing it on the show and what you want to do on the Companion podcast is like approaching Watergate from in a way that maybe people aren't as familiar with. Or I think it's fascinating because it's really about these two men and their relationship and their families. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah mostly yeah. about E. Howard Hunt's family. There's less about Liddy's family, mm-hmm. um, but the stuff about Liddy's family is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's it's such an interesting way into the story, not just because HBO is paying me to be interested in it, <laughs> um, but because but it's just I mean that's what I love. In storytelling, is yeah. finding the the human angle. Yeah, as we would, the uh, yeah, finding the character, yeah. finding what do these people do when they go home? Yep. What is it like at home? That's fascinating to me. Yeah. How are you processing this privately? Right. Um, what effect has it had on your family and your relationships? All of that to me right. is like yeah. the most interesting stuff of any right. political scandal right. or any political drama. Um, so that angle, I think, is. Is really fascinating. And a lot of what you're doing in the podcast, it seems, is trying to get unpack that too, right? And understand the people and explain like how the writers came to them. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I think any subject that feels like it's been covered to death mm-hmm. that we've had every angle on when there is a, a novel way in, uh, mm-hmm. I'm very fascinated by, by how the idea is formed and, and how they decide to approach it. And it's this sort of unusual mix of, of, like buddy comedy and family tragedy yeah, that exactly. I think is is really interesting. I mean, I am the target audience, uh, but I do think it's very interesting. <laughs> I thought Dave Mendel did a really great job. He He's on the first episode of your podcast, right, talking about kind of how he went about creating the show. Mm-hmm. And it was, do I have this right, that it's his, it's his father who hooked him up with... That's Dave Burnett. Well, that's Dave he's Burnett. a producer on the okay. show. Who yeah. hooked him up with um, Bud Crow or like, Eagle Crow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, like, who was telling him this story, like, no, really? Like, I mean, I mean, it's a story that people kind of knew, but an angle that had, nobody had taken by yeah. telling it through the story of Lydian Hunt. Yeah, in, in Burnett's telling... Um, Basically, his dad, who who this does seem to be true anecdotally, have now met his dad a few times. He has just a million ideas for TV shows, and like they're all always horrible. And then this one time, he he pitched him, and it's like, oh, that is a great idea. That's a great idea for a show. And Dave Mandel is the director, who of course from Veep. Um, right. And Seinfeld, and right. yeah, which seems like a very good sensibility to be bringing to the yeah, subject. Definitely, I love thinking though about like what would Watergate have been like with the cast of Seinfeld. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think well, and to that point too, it's like it's been said many times now, but like the show that actually is Washington is not House of Cards; it's Veep. Right. Yeah. Every, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's yeah. yeah well, it's, it's the true. absurdity of it, right? And yeah. I think like. And I think you talk about this in the first episode too, and this is true about the well, Watergate we'll era. Sometimes, well, <laughs> we'll thinking about it, yeah. Um, it's what you used to make this observation that Washington is a small town, and like it was a small town during Watergate. It's still a small town now, and I think that one of the re- I often am wondering why does Watergate still resonate? It's more than fifty years ago. It's like a high school lore, you know, like oh, remember the time the seniors put the yeah. car on the roof? Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, Remember the time they broke yeah. into the psychiatrist's office? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about like, why it still 
it still looms so large and it's still it's fascinating. I mean, there's there's a television show and you're doing a podcast about Watergate. There's a book that just Garrett Graff, who's your historian and guy, yeah. just was a finalist for the Pulitzer. Um, I think because it's such a human story. Yeah. It's like this story about remarkable smallness yeah. in people and human error and just bad judgment and yeah. bad morals uh, that's that's just kind of endlessly adaptable and fascinating and like a lot of political intrigue there are a million different ways to look at it and a million different fascinating characters I mean I still think about Slober and the the mm. Leon Napok uh. approach to it and there's I mean there are things that I'm still learning about Watergate like Dorothy yeah. Hunt for instance who comes up a lot um, in in this show I did not know anything about Dorothy Hunt, and yeah. I did not know anything. About, I can't spoil anything. I don't know what episode uh, this this like all. Three, um, yeah. yeah, but it um, feels silly to not want to spoil something from something that's like highly Wikipedia bull. <laughs> um, but I don't want to ruin history. Don't want to ruin you. it, but um, Spoiler, he goes on. He does resign. Um. <laughs> but uh, I've been warned to not to not ruin anything. But. Um, but yeah, and or even like um, well, Martha Mitchell. Well, I was going to say Martha Mitchell, the mouth of the South. It, yeah, I mean, a documentary. I mean, it's oh, really good. No, I didn't, didn't think like it was it? good. I didn't Why? think they did a great job. Why was it too short? Well, I will say I felt it was too short, and they didn't have enough yeah. room to like do the connective tissue bit. Yeah, it was but too I love montage. Okay, yeah, I mean they don't have fair. her, that's so fair. it's that's they did fair. the best they could in that yeah. respect. I thought Sally Quinn was great. In okay, yeah, good explainer. She was great. Can carry it through. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it really did her justice as a mm. character. But maybe that's impossible with someone who was not, you know, I don't know. And in thirty are, minutes, a lot I of people. Mean, yeah, it was very short. It was a short form. It was yeah. short. Yeah, but but to your point though, it's like some of these characters are so outsized, even for a story as big as Watergate. That right. is really saying something. Yeah. And there are still figures around. I mean, even in, in, Trump, in Trump orbit. I mean, like, Roger Stone. Sure. Right? Absolutely. I mean, not that he was a, an essential component of Watergate, although he takes credit for, you know, the sun rising. And <laughs> like, he's like ISIS. Um, <laughs> but he, um, but the fact that he's, you know, an artifact yeah. of, of American history yeah. and also a character affecting ongoing American still, yeah. drama is is fascinating. I mean, and I think that's it's a good point too about like again why Watergate resonates. I mean, some of these characters are still here. There are journalists that you and I both know who covered that period. I mean, it it, it, it does. <laughs> Thinking I ran into um, I was I ran into Bernstein at um at a party a few months ago, mm-hmm. and I wanted to um to kind of fangirl over his memoir yeah. about his early days as a reporter before he gets, it kind right. of ends when he gets to the Washington right. Post. Right. I just, I loved it. And I was sort of um, gushing about this. And he, he looks over my shoulder and he said, hold on, hold the thought. Uh, I got to go find Woodward. And I just thought like, what? What a life. How could I, how is it possible that in Washington all of these years later, decades and decades later, Bernstein is still looking for Woodward <laughs> in Sally Quinn's house. <laughs> and I am bearing witness to this oh my now. God. I think it's just both like, well, it's both poignant and sad. Yeah, I felt like time. Forrest Gump, you know. like. But this is the small town. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't yeah. It? Do you like that about Washington? I think it's, it still shocks me because uh-huh. it's, I kind of all the things that people say about how much better New York is, most of them are correct. Um, but it's not, you know, I always felt like Washington's not nearly as bad as people in New York make it sound like oh, it yeah, will be. For sure. um, and there's so much beauty and, and texture to the city yeah. that um, that outside of it, you don't hear a lot of appreciation yes. for. Um, but <laughs> it is small. Yeah, it is small. when you don't leave your bubble here. It it is suffocatingly yeah. small. It's, and in New yeah. York, I mean, not to be like compare yeah. um, but I always just think you know if you're like crying on the street in New York or something no one's gonna give a shit right if you're crying on the street here you like Chuck Schumer might emerge again exactly. tissue you exactly. know exactly <laughs> it's just a very different yeah um, it's both charming and stifling at the same yeah, time yeah it's funny I, I brought a lot of I, I had some guests with me at the correspondence dinner from Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, and who I'm working with on, on a project and there was a lot of comparing LA and DC because it's oh, very similar. You no, know, it's very similar, yes. right? Um, yes. And but the meaningful difference, my producer Gina um, kept pointing out, was that in LA, no one's really friends. 
Mm. When you're out at a party, whereas here, I mean, we've all survived sometimes literal wars together. Yes. I, when I, you know, I, I see you at a party, yeah. I like run across you the room to tackle see, you, yes, exactly. right? Yeah. And I, I have so many wonderful yes. friends here, and it's and real. even yeah. people that I'm not close friends with, you have a bond with usually, right? Because you have experienced this really real shit, mm-hmm. meaningful shit together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess that kind of shocked the LA people who were yeah. here that weekend, and I thought that was so fascinating. It's so, and I, I worked for LA early, and worked in LA. I worked, for, <laughs> I worked for the government of Los Angeles. For Hollywood. Yes, I worked for Hollywood. <laughs> I worked for Peanuts. Um, uh, I did work for Peanuts. Um, but I worked at a magazine in LA early in my career for about a year, and I'd done an internship um, at a small film production company when I was in college. Really? So Which one? It was called, um, uh, what the hell was it called? Oh, God, wait. Um, Oh, Tapestry, Tapestry Films. The two things they were famous for were the producers. Um, one, they did Point Break, the original. And two, um, they produced all the Olsen twin videos. Oh, amazing. Which, which means oh, they're all like God. trillionaires now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and at the time, I was not impressed, but Oh, whatever. my God. I, I still think, you know, they they were like little reporters on some of those series. Yeah. They, they did investigations. They wore trench coats. A lot of my aesthetic <laughs> references come from Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. <laughs> the early years. The, the early years. Now, of course, they have the row. So yeah, exactly. You, exactly. Know, you can buy a $5,000 trench coat from sure, them if you're why not? And, and <laughs> an appropriate so size yeah. now, too. Um, but I found both going between L.A. and Washington, totally, I was like, they're the same place. I mean, they're both one-horse industry yep. towns. They both think that the work that they're doing is the center of the universe and the most important thing. They're absolutely obsessed with image and, you know, celebrity in their different ways. Yeah. With clout, it is about who you know. Yep. L.A., there's there's much more money, but money is just sort of like kind of like part of the current. That's right. all. It's really about clout, and clout does not necessarily equate to money. Yeah. Same I mean, I think DC. the meaningful distinction is like they're – Glamour and aesthetics yeah. loom so yeah, so yeah, large, yeah. right? And people are so obsessed <clears throat> with that stuff, right? Um, we're here, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It's not a major fixation. <laughs> we don't lead with that. Uh, we don't lead with that. <laughs> um, and the jargon, you know, all the jargon yeah. or just the kind of nicknames for people and first names where it's like when you're when you're parachuting in, you're like, yeah. what the hell are people? Who is Pete? What are you guys talking about, right? Right. right. And you really, it takes... I mean, I'm still learning about L.A., but, like, it, it takes a while to kind of get – learn the language and the, the pattern of how people speak. How do you like the city, L.A.? I love it. Yeah. I really love it. I do, too. I hated it when I lived there, but now I like really? it Really? Where did you live? I lived in Venice. Would you? Why didn't you like it? I, well, it's more that I, I think – it wasn't a particularly pro- thing about Venice. It was more that – L.A., I mean, it's not a beautiful city per se in that it's very sprawling and spread out. There are gorgeous parts of it. Mm-hmm. L.A. is the kind of thing where you kind of have to, like, you know, put the little, like, box around your eyes and just look at some pieces of it. <laughs> it's like it's not like Washington where I think where you can walk out and there are just expanses of the city that yeah. are actually quite designed and beautiful. And walkable. Um, and walkable. Although Will O'Connor is um, – our friend Will yeah. O'Connor yeah. is adamant about walking in L.A. And so I've oh, kind of really? experienced it a little bit wow. with him that way, which is very interesting. Time. Yeah. Yeah, I left him in a park to go take an Uber <laughs> home recently. I'll see you in three hours. <laughs> Cross town. Um, but no, I, I think also I was just at a point in my life, too, when I lived there where I was just very serious and right. I was just coming out and everything was very weighty. And I think I wanted more of the intellectual climate of Washington. The thing that I didn't understand is that people in L.A. are also very smart. It's just they don't necessarily present in the same way as, you know, they're in Washington, people want you to know they're smart. Right. In L.A., people aren't striving. There's also a baseline here, though, right? There's Where a baseline like, here. You, kind of, you have to have a certain – you at least have to be knowledgeable yeah. about what's happening to have right. a conversation usually. That's right. right. That's right. And I think, you know, but it is a town that is – genuinely fascinated with this town. This town is also very fascinated yeah. by them. I mean, you, the correspondence dinner is kind of like the galactic collision I mean, yeah. every year where you see that happening. But I think that, you know, what I would intrigue me about wanting to come back to Washington, and it took me years to figure this out. It's not so much that I wanted to be in Washington doing a Washington thing. I was just fascinated by the stories that were in Washington. Right. I went to L.A. to be a storyteller because I thought I would work in screenwriting, right. and that's what I always wanted to do. And I realized that, no, actually, it's like it's the drama of this town that actually intrigues me and pulls me in, which is why I just stayed here and did journalism. Now, as I'm older, I love going back to L.A. and spending time there. I like it more than New York. Oh, I do, too. 
Yeah. Which is shocking for yeah, me to I say. Yeah, I would never thought I would I mean, have I always that. I used to joke that, you know, I'll certainly die in New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully no time soon. And I always was sort of thinking, like, oh, I can't wait to get back to New York. I can't wait right. to get back to New York. And I love New York. And I always feel like a just utter relief when I'm back there. Yeah. Um, and I never feel lost or uneasy there. Just, you yeah. know, I really have my bearings in New York. Um, but I feel that same relief now when I land in L.A. That's nice. I love L.A. That's I, nice. Like, I really think it's just a great great town i love driving and yeah. i love how wow. like as a new yorker you love driving and i love how psychotic the la drivers are i think it's like <laughs> amazing <laughs> so yeah what do you yeah. in, in in working as you are now with creative people you know i don't know they're literally in hollywood but i mean you're working with you know filmmakers now do they come to a story like watergate and a story like washington kind of like with sets of preconceived notions? I mean, is it baked in, or do they kind of approach it like, let's tell this story anew? Hmm. I mean, I think I think with the White House Plumber series, which I was not involved yeah. with the making of the series, um, but I think it's clear that, I mean, Mandel, the director, had learned a lot from Veep. I mean, they were constantly bringing in experts on, you know, um, I'm making this up, but like, I need an expert on the Secret Service. Get me a former agent, and you right. know, Tammy Haddad would materialize yeah, a former yeah, yeah, exactly. former agent who would come and brief everybody, or maybe Mitt Romney would come in, or mm-hmm. you know, whoever they needed to talk to. He was constantly doing interviews and learning a lot, and yeah. so he's really, really plugged into Washington and very knowledgeable about it. Um, and I think that's reflected in kind of how the tone of the show, I think, Mm. is very Washington. You have to have that, right? Otherwise, it's going to come across as phony. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think— Even to a viewer who doesn't know what Washington's really like, you know when something isn't ringing true. Right, and it's still just—it's a place. It's an ecosystem. It's a neighborhood. It's a a universe of people. And, like, no matter where you're—if you're setting something at a dog show or in, you know— Fargo or wherever, it doesn't matter. It has to feel like a real place with a real community. Right, right, right. right. But um, I don't know that any of the preconceived notions about Washington are necessarily wrong so much as Mm -hmm. they're incomplete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, you talked about, you know, the the smallness and the pettiness of, you know, it was exemplified in Watergate. I don't know that that ever goes away. I just think that's that's endemic to politics, people making bad decisions. Because ultimately the things that they want – they're going to have to do some bad things yeah. to get them. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that um, that I thought was interesting from um, my producer, Tina, her analysis of, um, of Washington was she did not realize how a lot of the people working in more junior positions in a White House or administration um, – are there, but they could really be anywhere else. They mm. could be at, you know, in corporate America. Mm-hmm. They could be working in fashion. They could be in any sort of similar functionary position yeah. in in a range of different places. And it's not just true believers. It's not just ideologues. It's not just people whose entire life is about climbing a ladder here. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. I think there's a tendency to just sort of flatten any place into stereotypes into right. West Wing. Yeah, right? they're all ambitious and want to be the chief of staff yeah. at the White House. Yeah, yeah which exactly. is not strictly true. No, I mean, <clears throat> that's such a smart point, too. I mean, I think of, you know, the number of people, too, that I've met here who were, like, in my first five years living here who aren't here anymore, and they went off and did something like that. And you look back at their time in Washington, they're like, yeah, I did that thing there, and now I did something right. similar in New York or Chicago or right. Nashville or whatever. But I understand that, too. I mean, do you or I, I kind of feel like when you've been in a place for – what feels like a chapter mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you know, maybe I want to figure out a different way to yeah. communicate. Yeah. I right. Think, or yeah. I mean, I think this is like, place. well, like, <clears throat> I mean, when I went to go, well, when I met you is when I went to go work at the Beast, it was yeah. at a point where I was working in magazines. My career was reversed. I started in magazines yeah, and yeah. went into daily news um, because I didn't want, I wanted something different. Right. And I was like, I want to stay here. I want to keep doing journalism, but I want to radically change how I'm doing it and the kind that I'm doing. And like that was easy enough to do. Right. I mean, there's so there are. It's. it's I mean, the city does have dimensions and layers and kind yeah. of multitudes to it. I think that way. And it is a media capital. I mean, it's not yeah. New York, but it's a major media center. And it, I think we have so many of these things just kind of in miniature. Yeah. You know. If yeah, that I think makes so. sense. Do you like podcasting? Speaking of like now switching into other ways of communicating and yeah. telling stories. Yeah. I mean, what I like about it. Um, is how much more social it, it feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, feature writing can be really isolating. Truly. Um, and as you, yeah, as you well know, and 
it's just nice to be collaborative. Uh-huh. So um, anything and anything that's not writing alone in a room yeah. uh, is great fun to Cause me. Because you're, you're writing, you're working from home probably all the time, or you're writing at home. You're I not, love writing at home. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And I or I'm in a hotel. Yeah. You know. Um, and I, I I love writing. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there was a period of time in the Trump administration when I started working on the project that I'm working on now, which is um, a a series for for AMC. Mm-hmm. Um, I had reached a point in my reporting where I just I really thought I had horrible writer's block, and I was just just devastated by it, right. and having so much trouble um, just getting a sentence out. Whereas it used to just be like off to the races once yeah. I started typing, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I was just so perplexed and and sad about it. And I and then I realized oh, I don't have writer's block. I have like I have a I don't want to talk to these people anymore uh, block. And I'm tired of these people tired of block. These people. Yeah. I'm tired of this reporting block. Um, and so I started writing it as what I, I thought would be like a I thought I would release like maybe an anonymous novel like Primary Colors. <laughs> and I realized, no, I you know, I don't hate writing. I I, I love writing. Yeah. Um so I don't mind being alone writing. Yeah. Um but it's very nice to break that up with any kind of creative collaborative yeah. Thing. So does this mean if he's reelected, you're like, no, I'm not doing, I'm not writing about you anymore. No, I have to do it. I yeah. have to do you it. You do feel okay because yeah. you did say you feel like it's a mission. I have to see it through. through. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know <clears throat> that I could do the kind of daily. Not that I was ever doing a daily grind, but I was there. But you most have to pay days. attention to it every day. Yeah, and I was there most days. Right. I mean, my entire waking life, like yours was probably, yeah. was waking up. Reading the news, listening yep. to the news when yep. I reached a I can't read anymore block, mm-hmm. and or just in piles and piles of books that were coming out that were relevant to what we were covering, and just yeah. it was ceaseless. Yeah, every day, all day, yeah. until I went to sleep. Yeah, it's completely um, exhausting. Yeah, and in a it's way like that a fire hose. No, and totally. And I would try to tell even like reporters who I work with who never covered another White House. I was yeah. like, this is. So abnormal. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's a busy job covering any administration. I mean, it's been shocking the tr- the transition to Biden yeah, for it's, me it's, because it's I'm, just like it's a livable life. Yeah, basically. I mean, I knew it wasn't normal, right? Yeah. But I had never experienced exactly. normalcy, right? So even if I'm like, well, this doesn't seem right, right? No, totally. <laughs> it's still what well, I had nothing to compare it to. But th- I mean, thankfully, at the White House, there's so many like lifers there, and yeah. so many people among the photographers and producers who. I've been yeah. there since, you know, Carter. Yeah, exactly. You know. exactly. <laughs> um, we can Watergate. talk about it. Yeah, since Watergate. I'm with you, though. Like, I, I had this debate with, like, Joe and I talked about this, where it was like, if he were reelected, I'm like, am I really, like, could I do four more years of this? And I was kind of of a mindset of, like, I think it's just so exhausting, and I don't know if I want to do it. And I changed my mind on that. I'm like, it, it's like, A, it's a great story, but B, it's like, if I don't do what I'm doing, who else is going to do that job? Well, I also keep thinking I, I was having a conversation with a reporter um, who was interviewing me about something related to Trump. And this, I, obviously a younger reporter or just a, a green reporter. And this person had no knowledge seemingly of a lot of basic shit that had happened in the Trump administration or, or just Jeez. dynamics. Not like no knowledge yeah. of what – but just like – no no memory yeah. of what the briefings were like, uh-huh. no memory of um, the experience of it. And how could you if you didn't experience it? It was just something coming by on your screen, sure. right? Sure. And I just was thinking like, oh, boy, oh, no. <laughs> we, we really need people who remember stuff personally okay. no, to be absolutely. reporting on this. Complete, completely. And I think it, and, it, and, it, and, and you and I have learned from people like that. So you, you, yeah, yeah, of you, course. you have to stay on the job and yeah. just continue doing it. Yeah. Oh, my God. But hopefully it won't be that exhausting we're gonna see what happens (laughs) well our tradition on the show here is my last question as i get to reach into the chatterbox beautiful wait did joe make it no he did not make this he could have though yeah it would have been even nicer i'm gonna pull out a a random question that's been previously typed down for you okay let's see Oh, this is a good one. I like this for you. I like this for you. And <laughs> I like this for you. In what country other than your own, as in here, uh, would you most like to live and why? Huh. I guess Italy. Yeah. Um, you seem noncommittal about that. Yeah, because I'm thinking, I guess I would want to live in Italy. Yeah. Do you speak Italian? No, I really want to learn. Yeah. I, I've... Um, 
I want to get a tutor to learn because I tried doing it like with Duolingo or whatever yeah. and it didn't take at all yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all the phrases that you would never use. You know, the boy has an apple. Um, <laughs> but I really want to learn and um, Ryan and I want to get married there. So I want to oh, learn before we yeah. do that so that um, it's not a... Do you know where your people come from? In like yeah, uh, uh, Bari and... Uh, um, Abellino. Oh, nice. And uh, Ryan's family is from Benevento. Which okay. Is, okay. Is sort of nearby Abellino, okay. which makes me a little nervous. Yeah. Are we related? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's not Italian. Uh, but, <laughs> but. Um, where are you going to get married in Italy? I don't know yet. We're not totally sure. Probably we got engaged in Capri, mm-hmm. so maybe back there. Yeah. Yeah. So Italy. Yeah. Better work. I think so. You could cover, there's lots of Italian politics. Well, right after we got engaged and the next day we went to cover the election there. It's so romantic. It was so romantic. It Aww. really, it was. So Two it was political like, reporters. We just really life. wanted to, you know. <laughs> oh, there's rally. Let's go. It's uh, like you want to believe at the end of the day, it's like you just kick back and talk about anything other than politics. But It's, it's either movies politics. or politics. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Uh, well, my friend, Olivia Nuzzi, thank you for coming over here today. Thank you for this having me. This has been me. fun. Yeah. We caused a little trouble. A little? I feel like we didn't. We could do more. Yeah. Anything, I feel like we didn't. Any shit you want to talk real quick before we say goodbye? That was Chatter, a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo. Please subscribe to the podcast and find us on Twitter at That Was Chatter. <laughs>